Welcome to Death, Lies, and Alibis, the podcast that dives deep into the dark and eerie world of local cold cases. I'm your host, Christy, and today we're stepping into the shadows of our own backyard. Join me as we peel back the layers of time to uncover the chilling tales of local cold cases that have haunted our communities for years. Sainsville is a small town nestled in the heart of Ohio. Bustling with tight-knit neighborhoods, friendly faces, and a sense of security that you'd expect from any traditional Americana. But beneath that idyllic surface lies a hidden darkness, a collection of unanswered questions that have lingered over the years, casting a long and ominous shadow on the souls who call this place home. As we embark on this journey, we'll encounter whispered rumors, puzzling evidence, and the anguish of families still desperate for closure. These forgotten cases have left us restless, hungering for justice, and determined to shine a light on the forgotten stories that deserve to be heard. So, grab your headphones, lock your doors, and prepare to enter a world where the truth has evaded the investigators, leaving behind a chilling legacy of unsolved heartbreak. This is Death, Lies, and Alibis. Welcome back to the podcast that peels back the layers of time to uncover the chilling tales of unsolved crimes. Today, we're diving into one of Zanesville's haunting cases. Picture this, a small, close-knit community plagued by the pearls of addiction and violence. In a town where secrets run deep, a 30-year-old woman named Ashley Johnson lived a life overshadowed by the darkness of her own choices. Married to a notorious gang member, Ashley's world was entrenched in the dangerous underworld of drugs and crime. One fateful cold March night in 2018, the quiet serenity of this neighborhood was shattered as the lifeless body of Ashley was discovered in her own backyard shed. The shed, once a sanctuary for tools and equipment, became a grim crime scene leaving investigators puzzled and the town on edge. As rumors circulate and fingers point, the spotlight shines brightly on Ashley's husband, William, also known as Oki. With his own rap sheet and a history of violence, it's no wonder he quickly becomes the prime person of interest in this twisted tale. We dig deep into the murky waters of Ashley's tragic life, uncovering a web of deceit, addiction, and betrayal. We'll walk down the dark path she walked and attempt to untangle the threads of her demise. Join me as we try to comb through conversations, unturned snows, and the hidden motivations. We'll consider bold theories and conflicting narratives in our quest for the truth. But be warned, folks, as we peel back these layers, we may expose the rot lurking beneath the surface of the seemingly peaceful town. Brace yourself as we embark on this pulse-pounding journey into the heart of darkness. So, tighten your seatbelts, put on your detective hats, and let's dig into the case of Ashley's murder. Shed of Secrets our story begins in the heart of Zanesville, or better known to us locals as Z-Town, a town where even the darkest secrets can't hide forever. Under the cloak of a frigid March night, 
Snowflakes tumbled aimlessly from the charcoal sky, blanketing the world in an unforgivable coldness. In the dim, lit solitude of a backyard shed, this young woman sought refuge. The once lifeless structure was now lit by the melancholy blue glow of a single light bulb, casting eerie shadows as it swayed gently, revealing the grim furniture of addiction, used needles, discarded tinfoil, and a lonely spoon. She was hopelessly caught in the iron grip of substances that promised solace, but only delivered more pain. A makeshift sanctuary against the world. The shed was a hollow cathedral where her and her husband worshipped their self-destructive habits. A harsh gust of wind rattled the rickety wooden door. A jarring reminder of her seclusion in this frigid sanctuary she called her escape. Her own breath visible in the biting air, she gathered her arms around her slender frame, cocooning herself as if to shield from her reality. Her life thus far, a string of bad decisions, missed opportunities, and fractured relationships weighed heavily on her, a burden that seemed as relentless as the cold that seeped through the walls. As she teetered on the edge of despair on the snowy night in the shed, her eyes, mirrors of regret, bore into her soul, exposing the stark truth. Her reflection painted a haunting picture. A young woman grappling with the circumstances she believed to be bigger than her own courage. The harsh winter echoed her pain. Unbeknownst to her, she was facing what would become her final night in the world of the living. was found dead and badly bruised in a shed. From an article in our local newspaper, the Times Recorder dated April of 2018 by Shelley Schultz. Despite the nearly 20 overdose deaths in Muskingum County this year, there was something different about the death of Ashley Bacone Johnson and her family wants answers. Ashley Johnson sits on her mother, Lori Swackhammer's lap in a family picture. Johnson was found dead of an apparent overdose, but family members say she sustained other injuries. Ashley, according to her mother, Lori Swackhammer, was found dead on Tuesday, March 20th, in a shed where she had been living behind a Galena Avenue residence. There was evidence on the scene to suggest she had died from an overdose, according to Swackhammer. However, beneath the surface, a deeper story was unfolding. Her body was badly bruised, and um, she suffered internal injuries, Swackhammer said. Ashley, 30, grew up in Deavertown, spending most of her childhood on her grandpa's farm with her siblings, Chris and Bella. She idolized her grandpa and followed him everywhere, Swackhammer said. Both of the girls did. Ashley was a middle child, six years younger than Chris, and two years older than Bella. She started using drugs probably around the age of 14, Swackhammer said. I think it was just marijuana at first, and then eventually it led to the hard stuff. Another photo of Ashley was taken when she was a teenager and she was in a pageant. Over the next decade, Ashley's life began to spiral out of control. The drugs had really taken control over her life, Swackhammer said. She was in and out of jail. She had stolen from the family. Well, pretty much burned all her bruises. She was a mess, and we couldn't trust her. Older brother Chris 
who worked in the fire and EMS fields, as well as for the Perry County Sheriff's Office, had tried relentlessly to talk to Ashley about her lifestyle. He told me several times that she was going to die if she didn't get help, Spockhammer said. Chris died in a motorcycle accident in October of 2016. His funeral was the last time I saw Ashley, Swackhammer said. She said she wasn't, but I could tell she was high. Swackhammer said Ashley had just been released from jail when she was found dead. We always hoped that this time would be the last time, that she would finally straighten up, Swackhammer said. But in the back of our minds, we always knew she would probably end up dead. Ashley's sister, Bella, said she saw a selfie taken earlier that day that Ashley had died. Now, it was a good picture, Bella said. The sun was shining on her, and she didn't look too bad at all. She definitely didn't look beat up. So what happened between the time the selfie was taken and the time she was found dead in a shed, badly beaten, according to her family, remains a mystery. She wasn't perfect. She'd done a lot of wrong things, Swackhammer said, but she didn't deserve this. No one does. Anyone with information regarding this investigation is asked to call Detective Brad Schwager with the Muskingum County Sheriff's Office at 740-452-3637, extension 6050, or you can call our tip line at 740-299-4822 or email us at deathliesalibis at gmail.com. We'll be right back. read to you a chilling letter that sheds light on this case that is ice cold, but it only happened five years ago. A letter that unveils a sister's unwavering belief that her sibling was not a victim of tragedy, but the target of a sinister crime. So buckle up as we dive into the heartbreaking contents of this correspondence, exploring the doubts, suspicions, and unanswered questions that have haunted this grieving sister for far too long. The official investigation concluded that Ashley's death was an accidental overdose, but the official cause of death on her death certificate says homicide, a tragedy that sent shockwaves through her family and community. So Bella doesn't accept the official report's explanation for her sister's demise. In fact, she's convinced that Ashley was murdered and the true culprits remain at large. Her letter presents a compelling argument, folks. Her words drip with the desperation and the quest for justice that has consumed her every waking moment. Bella and her mom plead with Detective Schwager to keep on the case, to revisit the evidence, and to unmask the truth that lies buried beneath the surface. Armed with the incredible determination and a fervent belief in justice for her sister, Bella implores the detective to bring the perpetrators to justice. We embark on the possibility that Ashley's death was not the result of a tragic accident, but the deliberate act of a callous and cunning killers. Her letter to you folks, listen. Today, I am posting to dispel any rumors or falsehoods surrounding my sister's death. Ashley was murdered, and the autopsy shown here proves blunt force trauma killed her, not an overdose. 
Please continue reading for the undeniable truth, but proper proof to back it up. I'm going to give a trigger warning here, guys. This is an autopsy report, so if you're sensitive like that, heads up. Take care. My sister's name was Ashley Bacone Johnson. On March 20th, 2018, somewhere between the hours of 7 a.m. Eastern and 8 a.m. Eastern, my sister took her last breath. EMS wasn't dispatched to the scene until 6 p.m. Eastern. Ashley was found dead in her, quote, bed, which is a mattress on a dirt floor in a shed in the backyard. The property is owned by her mother-in-law. She's laid dead for an estimated 10 to 12 hours before emergency services were called to the Galena Street and Zanesville. Her blood had time to pool and congeal. It has become non-flexed or blanchable, which takes up to 8 to 12 hours after death. Ashley was, in fact, beaten to death. In the report, please note pathological diagnosis 2A, 2B, 2C, 6A, and 6B. These are very key findings that I will be explaining. We'll start with two, blunt force injury to the head. Pretty self-explanatory. Drugs don't cause this. Someone hitting you does. But here's the proof she physically didn't walk away from her injuries. 2A, subdural hemorrhage. Subdural hematoma, also called subdural, subdural hemorrhaging, is a medical emergency. It's usually caused by the head injury strong enough to burst blood vessels. This can cause blood pooled to push on the brain. Drugs do not cause this blunt force trauma does. 2B. Now, I'm going to chop these words and slaughter them. I'm so sorry. I'm not very good at pronouncing these words. Subgeal hemorrhage. A subgeal hemorrhage is a rare but potentially death, death, uh, lethal medical emergency. Hemorrhage occurs into the loose cavity, or excuse me, loose connection tissue within the subgeal space and can cause hypovolemia. Neonates can lose 50 to 70% of their circulating blood volume into the space, leading to hypovolemic shock, anemia, and cogelopathy, so sorry, and death. This is only caused in adults by blunt force trauma to the head. If not immediately treated with emergency surgery, this is fatal. If you look directly at the report, you see six are paramortem artifacts. Paramortem artifacts means at, at or near the time of death. Damage occurring at or near the time of death without any evidence of healing. 6A. Hemoparatum. Hematoma. Hemoparatoma is a type of internal bleeding, specifically internal bleeding in the small space between your internal organs and your internal abdominal wall. This is not caused by drug use. It is caused by one of your internal organs bleeding due to blood force trauma. If not immediately treated, it's fatal. 6B. Ashley suffered a paramortem postmortem laceration to her liver, meaning the laceration occurred directly before death or directly after as there were no evidence of the body being able to heal the laceration. Drugs don't cause lacerations to your liver. 
And those who don't know what a laceration is, the medical term for it is physical injury to your liver. Most commonly, the liver is the most injured organ in the abdominal trauma from blunt force. So, now we are all up to speed. Yes, Ashley had drugs in her system, but those drugs were not what killed her. It's very clear what killed her. Her injuries to her torso and head alone would have left her unresponsive. That alone made it medically impossible for her to stand up and walk to her bed to die. Ashley was murdered at her house on Galena Street, or she was murdered somewhere else and drugged to the shed. As evident with the way her body was found, it appeared that she had, in fact, been drugged there. The clothing she was found in showed signs of being drugged through the mud. Ashley's hands were badly bruised, and from not from shooting up either. You can clearly see she fought back, and her hands were broken from the fight. You can also see how her neck was damaged as well. Drugs don't cause that. A question, I question how William Oakey Johnson did not hear or see what happened to her. It seems almost impossible. If someone was violently beaten to death on my property, I would be more than wanting to know what happened. In fact, uh, they tell everyone Ashley died of an overdose and to leave it alone. She also tells a story of how Ashley disappeared and came back, beaten up, which, as I have proven above, is physically medically impossible to have done with her injuries. We, as a family, have been fed several stories from that night. I will list them as we see them. Number one, Ashley had died in the bathtub of an overdose. Two, William woke up to find Ashley dead from an overdose in the bed they shared. Three, Ashley has snuck away and gotten beat up. Supposedly, the sheriffs were looking for her, along with her husband, William Oakey Johnson. But there is no report or proof to this. Just one person's word. Four, Ashley died of an overdose, and we need to just let it go. She was never murdered. We as a family have been also accused of some pretty awful things, including but not limited to us lying about Ashley being murdered, us wanting attention and using Ashley's death to obtain it, us supposedly denying William Oakley Johnson access to Ashley's remains or her final resting place. Absolutely none of these are true. And also, this can be checked and backed up with proof that these are false statements. Now that the facts have been laid out, we as a family are asking for any and all viable information that leads to an arrest or conviction. We are offering a cash reward of $3,000. Ashley's two children deserve to know. They deserve the chance to heal from this. Please, we are begging. Please, someone has to do something. There has to be some information somewhere. If you choose to come forward, we will ensure your privacy is respected and no one knows where the information came from. Only the sheriff will know as they will inquire to speak to you. Oh, folks, that gives me chills. That letter gives me chills. I'm sitting right now here with chills. That's a determined sister, rightfully seeking answers and demanding justice for Ashley. So, folks, let's not disappoint her and her mom, Lori. Let's talk and talk. And talk some more and keep keep it going. We see in the media every day that cold cases are being solved. Do you believe extraordinary things can happen? Why not this town? A trustworthy informant, a very reliable official, relayed to me that a week before her death, Ashley confided in her, expressing her fear for her life. Ashley believed someone was plotting her murder. 
and she had a particular fear of her husband. He, he, she said he was mean. The source said that their theory is that he beat her, shot her up, to purposely overdose her. Now, of course, that's no proof of that. Like I said, just in that other sentence, that's a theory. No proof at all. Bear in mind, to conduct your own investigations and research, we are by no means professional. Rather, I'm just a podcaster expressing my viewpoints. The vast majority of what I post and talk about is accessible to the public that constitute public information. So, her husband was part of a well-known prison gang that spilled over into the streets. They were famous for their hideous acts and committed within our community. At my interview with Sheriff Lutz, he did decline to discuss this case, citing it is still open and under investigation. It's stagnant and cold. Without any evidence presented by anyone, it's unlikely it'll progress. We're in need of assistance from the public, he said. Examining records such as 911 call, police reports, or court documents is not possible, regardless of even filing a Freedom of Information Act. Now, we don't want to interfere with the investigation at all. I've tried several times to make contact with Oki and his mom, uh, Ashley's mother-in-law, both of whom still reside at the same location where the murder occurred. Uh, he was the final person to uh, encounter her. Naturally, he was her husband, but he was the final person. I've reached out several times. I just haven't received a response back. Is there means here, folks? Of course. Very obvious. Anything. Means can include the tools needed to commit the crime, specialized knowledge or skills. Well, it was a grimy, dilapidated shed, probably filled with tools and ropes. And, you know, most notably, of course, we always have our bare hands as a weapon. The motive. The motive is speculated to be that she either stole from the gang or was aware of an upcoming assassination of another unfortunate young woman who was, she was the very first female member of the gang. And due to this, Ashley was considered to be maybe a possible snitch. Allegedly, he faced a simple choice. Obey the order to murder her or face death himself. It was well in fact that the gang leader would instruct his animals to assault their fellow female members and any disobedience or signs of they wouldn't comply, that would land them in the hospital, and that is on record. So let's talk about opportunity. It was their shared shed. He would have been there if she was using drugs. I'm sure he could, you know, if she had drugs, they were together. He was going to get some. If she was in that shed, he, he knew so uh, why wouldn't he have checked on his wife for the, more than a half a day? It casts suspicion as nobody seemed to check on her for 12 hours, half a day. Fact. Not that made for TV shit, folks. Come on. And we don't know what happened to her phone, even if she had one at the time. She just got out of prison. But she took that selfie with her phone. I've initiated contact with a representative from the Noble Corrections Institute. That's the birthplace of the gang. I'm interested in trying to get an interview. My aim is not to romanitize these individuals, but to secure viable facts. I want to give you folks the facts, not rumors. We're dealing with reality, not fiction. So in our upcoming episode, we will be focusing on the prison gang, the real writers, the significant individuals involved in it, and exploring the potential links to Ashley's case. All right, well, that's it for this episode of Death, Lies, Alibis. 
We hope that by shining a light on these local crimes, we have sparked something within you, the listener. So it's important for everyone to conduct your own research. As we're not experts in any field, our primary goal here is to inform, educate, and advocate. So please keep that in mind. It's crucial to approach topics with fairness and a firm attitude. All right, please drop a heart in the comment section for Ashley and her family and friends. Tell us how you like the show. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss an episode. To learn more about how to get your case featured on the show or to get instant access to case files, reports, post documents and records, and many other free resources, go to our Facebook group, Death, Lies, and Alibis. Join today or email us at deathliesalibis at gmail.com. Always be safe, stay alert, and never start seeking justice.